these small choices that you're making with food, especially when they involve meat, even though they're small, even though you're overlooking it, these small decisions will have a compound effect on your overall health. You might not see it now, but you will surely see it in the future, whether you're taking positive, helpful, plant-based decisions every day or not. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PBM Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. Before we begin, a bit of housekeeping. We're now on Spotify, which is really exciting. So if you have it, please go and listen to us there and share with your friends and family. Please also don't forget to check us out on plantbasednews.org. And we're also on YouTube with weekly videos on health, wellness and lifestyle. It's really great to, to be with you guys again. So um, and I hope you've had a wonderful week. Life here in London continues to be challenging and fulfilling in equal measures. On today's show, I'm delighted to introduce you to Shannon Whittingham. Shannon is a multifaceted, holistic health coach, YouTube host, and founder of Sincerely Shans. Apart from leading Sincerely Shans, Shannon is also a health advocate, a coach for a number of brands and organizations. During undergraduate college, Shannon double majored and received BA degrees in psychology and sociology. She is now earning her Master of Science degree in Nutrition and Dietetics while simultaneously completing didactic supervised practice to become a board-certified registered dietitian and New York State-certified dietitian, dietitian nutritionist. Shannon believes health is a positive vitality and not just the absence of disease. She connects the dots between the mental, physical and spiritual aspects of health. Through working with different brands and by developing her own health coaching program, Shannon has helped hundreds of people all over the world improve their health. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you for having me. It's definitely a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. I've been following your journey and watching you on Instagram and absolutely love your passion and your um, tenacity when it comes to spreading the plant-based message. Absolutely. This is definitely something that I'm truly passionate about and have seen the different positive effects of a plant-based diet in people's lives, especially personally. So this is definitely something that I am passionate about and happy to share. So before we go into everything you're doing now with your life and um, all your current work and um passions. <laughs> Let's talk about the plant-based journey or vegan journey. You know, how did you discover the whole plant-based way of eating and nutrition? How, where did it all begin? Yes. So it's quite of a bit of a long roller coaster story, but I'll definitely sure. try to keep it short and concise. Um, I've always been exposed to eating a plant-based diet. Um, when I was nine years old, I started going to an Adventist school where they only allowed you to bring and eat vegetarian food. And at mm-hmm. the school, I would eat vegetarian, but after I left, I would go back to my regular diet, which of course included animals and animal products. However, in 2013, I started to make YouTube videos around health and natural and non-toxic beauty. And I remember coming across Fully Raw Christina and being inspired by her journey, but also seeing it as a little bit too difficult of a challenge to take on. And then it was not until 2015 did my channel take a new direction and I started to talk more about holistic health. And this included, you know, the whole approach, whole body approach, looking at all dimensions of wellness, emotionally, environmentally, physically, and more. 
And through that, my interest for veganism rapidly Mm -hmm. grew. And Mm -hmm. I was able to see how veganism positively affected overall wellness in so many different ways. Um, But again, at that time, I didn't have that support from my peers or family members. Um, Growing up, I kind of grew up in a community in school and even my family members were all, you know, from the Caribbean, but not really exposed to um, what they would call Ital food or um, plant-based, mm-hmm. you know, eating. So they they mostly consume foods that had a lot of animal, you know, based products and protein and things of that sort. But as I continue to grow my YouTube channel, my personal, um, interest and passion for veganism grew. And then when I started health coaching, um, I decided to fully transition to become vegan. Um, And a lot of my clients um, started coming in asking me about the vegan diet. And I felt um, oblique to start doing more research to help them and not steer them away from this lifestyle. And through that, I was able to help myself and help others um, become vegan. So that's kind of a short, concise um, summary. (laughs) Amazing. So it sounds like you had a lot of um, exposure, as you say, to ITEL culture. Do you want to talk a little bit about what ITEL is uh, for people who may not know? Because ITEL does precede the vegan movement by a few few decades, I think, actually, doesn't it? Yes, yes, certainly. So um, in Jamaica, the... Um, Rastas, as they would call it, they eat um, a primarily a vegan diet, and it's it's celebrated by the R- Rastafari movement, and it's been around for years um, on end. And basically, they kind of pursue this way of life for spiritual reasons, um, but again, they don't eat any any animal products, any animal. Um, uh, derivative derivatives and so on and so forth. And it's a movement that's definitely, um, growing. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And like when, when you kind of started your journey and started eating and teaching in this way, did friends and family kind of really question you and kind of question your sanity? Because a lot of people, (laughs) you know, they're, they're very afraid of, of, uh, changing their culture. Cause I know in, with African-American culture Mm -hmm. and people of color in the U S like animal products are a big and intrinsic part of culture as far as, um, family time and everything and it, and food, you know, food culture is much, much stronger, um, in the African-American community. Can you talk a bit about like how that, that, you know, did that affect you at all? And was that challenging? Definitely. That was definitely a challenge. And it's a challenge that now I'm definitely grateful for because through my coaching, I'm able to have that personal experience to help others to see, hey, people might ask you these questions or people might, you know, throw these fallacies at you. And this this is how you can respond. And for me, of course, one of the first questions I got asked was, where are you going to get your protein from? And <laughs> that old chestnut. Yep, exactly. And, you know, I'm pretty small in my physique. So, of course, they're like, where are you going to get your protein from? You sh- shouldn't try to lose weight. And I'm like, I'm not pursuing this lifestyle to lose weight. I'm pursuing it for so many other reasons. So, of course, that, you know, I've also um, gotten others where they say, oh, it's it's um, restricting um, what are you going to eat? And then 
you know, I've shared with those individuals how eating a vegan and plant-based diet, um, there's more vegan and plant-based foods than they are animal-based foods. And a lot of mm. people don't think about, you know, this lifestyle in that way. Mm. Right. And then of course, you know, the the oh, are you only gonna eat rabbit food or it's too expensive? expensive and things of that mm. sort. So um, I definitely were fa- was faced with a lot of different um, challenges, which I believe, you know, kind of deterred me in, in some ways, especially with regard to taking such a long time to just fully commit. Because again, mm. it was not until 2017 that I fully say, okay, you know what, I'm going to do this for myself. Mm. But I had been exposed to it from early on. So, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that really speaks to the importance of community, doesn't it? That, you know, it's so essential for us to have people around us that support our, our lifestyle. And that can go for anything, really, being whoever you are, whatever your identity is. If you don't have people around you encouraging and supporting you, if you don't have that help and support from your family, it's very easy to switch back to uh, eating animal products, especially, I know, I mean, I've spent a bit of time in the US, but, you know, um, what do they call the kind of carnistic uh, paradigm is very strong in the US because it's absolutely everywhere. Every single product has milk in it or eggs in it or, you know, some kind of animal derivative. So for some parts of the US, it's particularly difficult for people in places where there are food deserts, for example, where there isn't access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Um now, obviously, it's so important for us to um, be aware of, of the message and like how we communicate the message to people. Um, I'm very and and in, in passionately aware of how it's essential that when we kind of communicate this message to humanity as a whole, that every person is different. Every person's coming to the table from a different culture, from a different religion, from a different perspective. Um, would you like to ta- talk a little bit about on being a kind of vegan of color and how that may affect you as a person? Because obviously veganism, if we put ITAL aside for a second, veganism, especially in the West, has been, you know, up until now, quite a kind of what we say in the UK, a very white middle class thing, mainly because of privilege. You know, people have had the privilege and the opportunity to be able to choose uh, what to eat. Yeah. Whereas in, in, in many parts of the world, you know, there are people who don't have the choice and it's a real struggle. Because, yeah. um, you know, have you ever had to sort of deal with those kinds of questions or, or from within your own community as well? <clears throat> definitely, definitely. So I like to call myself a foodie in that, yeah. you know, I love trying different types of food. I have no problem with that, whether it's Indian vegan food, Asian, Mediterranean and um, through that, because I have that um, interest, I kind of use that to inspire others to mm. look at their choices with their food in the same way in that, okay, you are from the Caribbean, you are from Jamaica or Trinidad, or maybe live in a food desert where there's not a lot of access to um the foods that are vegan, right? Mm-hmm. And with that approach, I really try to take a plant-based approach and f- use the foods that they do enjoy eating. So for example, in, uh, let's see, I had a client who was Trinidadian and she loved curry, right? Mm-hmm. So I encouraged her to make dishes that she loved. And then we found those protein substitutes to swap out for whether it was chicken or fish, you know, and encouraging her to say, listen, you can cook this the same exact way, use the same exact seasonings, you know, the 
quote unquote curry chicken doesn't come curried, you know, when it's in the mm-hmm. farm, you add those mm-hmm. flavors, you add those ingredients, you add those spices and really encouraging clients to do that so that they can see for themselves that a plant-based diet can be delicious. It doesn't have to be bland and it can be accessible if you just find those um, substitutes, whether it's in canned goods that are usually relatively cheap or mm-hmm. cheap or even in frozen fruits and vegetables. It's just kind of thinking smarter and, and less harder, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people need guidance, don't they? Because I think yeah. for a lot of people, you know, men, no matter what your ethnicity or your culture, people are very, um, what's the word? They get stuck in their ways, don't they? Like most humans just like to stick with what they know. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, and then when we come along as plant-based or vegan people, they they it's totally alien to them. And what the irony is, is that people forget that most of what we eat is vegan anyway. You know, most of the plants that we eat is automatically vegan. And I think, like you say, it's about removing that fear that you can still consume a dish that's delicious and tasty and full of spices and herbs. But all you're doing is removing the animal product and replacing it with something similar, whether it's a mock meat or whether it's, you know, quinoa or lentils or um, Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. But Going back to your childhood growing up, um, do you want to talk about where you grew up and like what was the food culture like where you grew up? Certainly. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, um, and my family is all from Jamaica. I'm the only one born here in the U.S. I'm like, why couldn't you guys have me in Jamaica and just bring me over here so I can be Jamaican too? (laughs) But um, my entire family is Jamaican, and then I um, as I mentioned earlier, I went to Adventist school, but it was mm. a predominantly black school and a lot of, you know, Afro-Caribbean students, faculty and staff. So mm. um, we had diversity in re- with regard to the Caribbean. So we had Jamaicans, Gren- Grenadians, Trinidadians, but that was about it in terms of diversity. Um, so growing up, you know, around that, there... I think that's where my liking to explore other types of foods from other types of cultures kind of stemmed from because I've, I felt like, you know, there's more than just Caribbean food. There's more that's out there that, you know, exists and that I want to explore. And, and on a basic level, right, all cultures, you know, primarily cook with the same things, but they add their own little twist on it. Maybe, you know, those from Asia or India use more curries, whereas those from the Caribbean use more spices or those from um, the Mediterranean era will use more, you know, like olive oils and and vegetables. So my liking to, um, you know, food, I think kind of stemmed from my, where I grew up and um, through, especially through my school, talking and kind of promoting the vegetarian movement, that's when, you know, I also developed more of a liking for a plant-based um, diet. Yeah. Mm, amazing. And so when you say promoting the vegetarian movement, so you're quite passionate about speaking out about not eating meat when you were... Yes, especially now with being back in school and studying the science of food, um, I'm able to just see the benefits in so many different ways. And even just on a holistic um, 
approach and aspect of eating a plant-based diet, right? Um, I've seen how, for example, the National Library of Medicine, they say that um, 65% of the human population has a reduced ability to digest lactose after infancy. And a lot of people, you know, might go to their doctors and they might complain of bloating or breakouts. And even though the blood work might not directly show, hey, you're lactose intolerant, um, they they are not able to digest, you know, milk properly. And and a lot of people are lactose intolerant and don't even know it. And even with regard to the um, American Institute for Cancer Research, right, there was a study that came out that said uh, 65% of the human population in addition to having a reduced ability to digest lactose, they also encourage eating a plant-based diet to help mm. reduce cancer because of the mm. cancer-protective protective nutrients such as fiber, vitamins, and minerals that exist in plant foods. So through, you know, even right now with what I'm doing and studying, I am able to see the benefits of a plant-based diet and why it's so necessary and quite frankly, unnecessary to even consume animal, you know, products mm. in our everyday lives and for our overall health. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So obviously being um, a student and being a part of um, an organization, so how much of what you're studying and learning is focused on plant-based nutrition and how much kind of still contains, anim- you know, a discussion around animal products? Oh, we need milk for, for calcium. We need cheese for for protein, animal flesh for protein? I mean, how much of that is in the curriculum that you're studying? Yes. So unfortunately, it's very interesting because all of my professors are dietitians and they're all aware of the, you know, agenda behind the pharmaceutical company and also animal industry. And they make it clear that, hey, um, a lot of you know what what you see out there from food products to hospitals are being funded by these industries and they have to keep a certain agenda in order to have funding um, mm. for their industry and they do quite frankly share with us students hey you know this is what you're going to hear but the truth is you don't necessarily need to get calcium from milk or the vitamin D or calcium that you're getting from plants is more beneficial in these ways biologically than if you were to get it from chicken or red meat. So unfortunately, what they teach, they have to teach it, but it teach what, you know, these industries are kind of funding, but they do make it clear and encourage us as students on our own to dig deep and do our own research. And they give a lot of leverage for us, especially when we do presentations and things of that sort, to put our own twist and interest in topics that we might have to present on. So if I'm going to talk about eating more protein, I can put my twist on, okay, this is how you can eat more protein in a mm-hmm. vegan plant-based way. Um, right. But in terms of the curriculum, there is it's kind of split because the teachers know, but they still have to kind of mm. teach a certain agenda. Mm. Yeah. Here, in the, here in the UK, we have some uh, dietitian friends who've sp- spoken out actually about how some of these governing bodies um, – 
really control and restrict what you can and can't say as a dietitian. Uh, I don't know what it's like in the US, but uh, we've been told here by some people that if you actively speak out against the consumption of meat, milk, eggs, and dairy, um, you can have your certification revoked. Is it the same in the US? Well, the good thing is that I think that now because research is expanding on the benefits of veganism and a plant-based diet, there's more leeway to talk about it without you getting penalized to that extent. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a organization under the American um, Didactic Association, I believe it's called, that's dedicated to um, eating, I think, eating a vegetarian diet and they also quite frank they quite frequently talk about veganism as well and that is also expanding but um i don't think like i said because of the research that's coming out now um the those repercussions aren't as um, strict here as, as far as i know well that's yeah good to hear uh, industry is always sort of standing over people isn't it trying to yeah. direct every move Mm -hmm. um changing track a bit let's talk about the connection between the mind the body uh the spirit or the soul we might call it depending on your uh spiritual persuasion uh growing up how has kind of spirituality and mindfulness and and mental health kind of shown itself in your life yes definitely so um there's definitely a connection between the food that we eat and you know, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, right? For those um, individuals who, for example, identify as Christians and read the Bible, right? One of the first few things in the Bible in the book of Genesis talks about how, you know, um, God created us from the dust of the earth, right? And um, he states that we should use food that he created from the earth fruits and vegetables that bear fruit as food. And, you know, if God, the creator, created us from the dust of the earth, from the soil, he uses these minerals as well to Mm. fuel our bodies that, you know, come from the earth. And I think that's something that's very profound that, you know, a lot of us can really take into consideration, especially for a vegan diet, that all we need is in the earth. All we need is is can be found in plants. Every single nutrient, every single mineral can be found in the earth. And I think that's something that's definitely profound, especially for people who identify as Christians or what have you, to really take into consideration um, and and not be so limited to the you know, religious side of things, but also seeing things more spiritually as, okay, how, how does the food that I consume every day affect my walk with God and spirit mm. speaking on a spiritual side? And then in terms of um, mental health, um, there is also, you know, direct research, evidence-based research that shows how our diet can affect our mood, can affect our energy levels. And if we aren't eating a processed um, diet in an animal-based diet, you can, when you go and make that switch over to a, a vegan plant-based diet, even if it's just for a week, you will immediately begin to see those positive effects on how you feel and how you look and even just your overall confidence. And a lot of my clients were able to 
also see that effect in their own lives when they made that transition and were quite frankly surprised to even see how they just felt internally and mentally and was more aware and mindful every day mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. by pursuing and starting that, you know, vegan plant-based diet and mm -hmm. In terms of the physical benefits, uh, that's endless, right? There's so many from, you know, preventing cancer, from improved um, skin, as I mentioned, um, hair growth for, you know, a lot of females, a lot of my clients, they want to grow their hair longer, that as well. So many um, different benefits. Even now there's a lot of um, vegan bodybuilders. So even that fallacy is kind of debunked where um, <laughs> people find that, oh, especially the guys, they're like, how can I gain on a vegan diet? Hey, you know, there's vegan bodybuilder builders. You're not even trying to be a bodybuilder. You're just trying to gain some muscle, but there's bodybuilders primarily on a plant-based diet and, and, you know, having, um, helping others see that this is possible and to achieve their physical, you know, well-being and, and goals is, is definitely, um, important, but veganism definitely has, definitely has a holistic positive effect on our, on our lives for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to the kind of connection of spirituality and mental health, there's a, there's a new film coming out soon. I think it's premiering, premier, premiering very soon in the US called A Prayer for Compassion. Um, and this film centers on the kind of connection between, um, veganism, spirituality and religion. And it's not a conversation that you see happening very often in the mainstream. You know, there's over a billion people practicing Catholicism. Um, there's over a billion, uh, Buddhists. Um, and over a billion billion Muslims, you know, but people are not joining the dots. For me, I, I'm a Buddhist. Um, I've been practicing Buddhism for well over 10 years now. Wow. And I began uh, as a meat eater. Um, I started practicing Buddhism. And in fact, actually, Buddhism led me to veganism. Wow. Um, and I was going around teaching people about Buddhism, about compassion and kindness. Mm -hmm. But then I was sitting down and eating animals. And, you know, I obviously was exposed to films like Earthlings and all these yeah. different documentaries. Mm -hmm. And I began to question. I began to question, why am I teaching and promulgating this message of compassion and kindness, mm -hmm. yet I'm sitting down three times a day eating, a, you know, a, a, an animal which has probably been violently killed. Mm -hmm. um, did you actually grow up Seventh-day Adventist or is that was that just a school that you went to? I actually did not. I grew up non-denominational. Um, okay. uh, my church kind of, so they're, they really push the agenda of growing spiritually and building your relationship with God. We also um, kind of identify with Israelites in terms mm -hmm. of using the sacred Hebrew name of God, Yahweh and Yeshua. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's, you know, my background, but I did get um, my parents because we didn't really have uh, non-denominational, but still spiritually focused on biblical studies school apart from like Adventist school. So my parents decided to send me there. Mm -hmm. um, and um, with regard to even what you mentioned earlier, right, in terms of um, the animal treatment, I think that's so um, profound because I was actually speaking to someone the other day saying that 
there's really no humane food. Like, yes, you know, there the humane food has a higher requirement for the animal welfare than those of conventional systems. But um, at the end of the day, they're still being slaughtered. They're still be- being killed. They're Throats are still being cut and slit. And it's almost as if we're going to say, you know, there's a humane way to kill people, right? At, at the end, it's still killing, whether it's inhumane or humane. But in terms of like, you know, growing up with my spiritual beliefs, I don't think that a lot of people pay attention to the fact that, hey, you know, we're promoting you know, loving others and giving back and pouring into people's lives so that they can live, be healed and live a happy and wholesome life. But we're not, we don't, I don't think they really taken into consideration, you know, food and just how, you know, we have grown up and, and I'm speaking just even just for all religions mm-hmm. that don't primarily practice a vegan plant-based diet. We, we, I don't think there's an emphasis as much on food with regard to the treatment of animals. I think that we're very far removed from the animal mm-hmm. industry and what goes on. And because we're not um, um, knowledgeable about what's, what goes on, we don't. Um, it doesn't affect us as personally um, as it should. Yeah. Mm, mm, definitely. I mean, this week uh, I have been having conversations with people regarding the concept or uh, uh, the idea of what is called ahimsa. Have you heard of ahimsa? No, I haven't. So ahimsa is a practice that is practiced by Hindus, Buddhists, and Jainists. It's from the Jainist tradition okay. where it says respect for all living things and the avoidance of violence towards others. Now, what is kind of obscure and strange is that you have a lot of people in the East practicing this um, this ideal as part of their religious kind of faith, but then can still eat animals and still drink milk and eat cheese and haven't quite made the connection. And then we have over in the West, Western world where you have a lot of people who teach yoga because yoga is part of the Ahimsa tradition where it's all about nonviolence and compassion. Um, and there is, seems to be a strange disconnect between people yes. who deem themselves deeply spiritual, yet they will, they will sit down and, and have a bacon sandwich and pull their um, uh, Canada goose jacket a little bit closer to their chest, which, mm-hmm. which has obviously got, you know, mm-hmm. a violently killed um, coyote or animal over their neck without really seeing the truth that they are being, they are inadvertently or indirectly, well, not indirectly, actually directly funding a very violent and destructive system. Yes. Um, So what are your thoughts on how we help people from as a spiritual person or person who, who has a spiritual practice? Like, how do you think we can talk to people about this? Cause it's very hard to talk to someone about their spiritual practice without them becoming defensive. And we can do it the same when we talk about food, but do you have any experience in, and in situations where you've tried to talk about this or the foods making changes with food and people have become defensive and um, yeah, yeah. Defensive yeah. generally. Yes, definitely. I think that, you know, people are definitely far removed still from you know, animal cruelty and what really goes on. And one thing that I do is I really try to 
reach them at the level at where where they are. So especially mm. with coaching, something mm. that I constantly say is I take an integrative approach. So one person might, you know, be more educated on what goes on in farming and another person might not be. So I kind of try to make sure that I'm being compassionate with where they are in terms of their knowledge of just what goes on and 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 their viewpoint of food and animals and start from there and then build. And I usually like to send documentaries, of course. So what the mm. hell, Cowspiracy, Fork Over Knives, things, you know, you know, like that. And that kind of helps to really um, start the conversation around what goes on. For some people, it's immediate like, okay, I saw this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with this industry. How can I get started? How can I be, be vegan? For others, it might be, okay, I have a few questions. I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that. And then I will kind of take it from there. And usually that approach usually helps just by, you know, exposing them to the documentaries because I think people learn very well um, visually through watching videos, especially with Netflix now, you know, out. I think that that's a really good um, subtle way to introduce them to um, veganism. Um, so that's the approach that I usually like to take because, again, some people just really don't know or for others that do know, whether they've gotten exposed through a documentary or on YouTube, a lot of people have also unfortunately um, been exposed to veganism in negative ways with being bashed or if they've they tried to be vegan on their own, if they weren't going about it, you know, completely the right way just because of lack of knowledge. Maybe um, some of them have experienced like vegans being you know, mean and, you know, bashing them like, oh, you're not really vegan because you're not doing X, Y, and Z. So there's also that. Vegan police. <laughs> yes, vegan police, definitely. <laughs> so there's also that as well. So what I like to do is just meet people where they are, ask them, what do you think about, what does animal cruelty mean to you? What do, When you think about food, do you see yourself separate from what you're eating or do you really see how what you're eating is going to affect your emotional health, your mental health, or what? where did your food come from? Are you thinking about that? Is that important to you or not? So that's mm -hmm. kind of where I start from mm -hmm. because that can branch out to so many different conversations mm -hmm. and avenues. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real challenge communicating with people over the years. I've worked very hard to try to perfect and obviously we're never going to be perfect, but to kind of refine and, um, develop our communication style you know humans are every single every single human being and of course every single animal too and humans are animals um are unique each one of us with our own kind of set of uh, behaviors and little intricacies so it's and a real challenge mm -hmm. and background yeah and it's such a difficult thing sometimes to communicate with people because you can be having a fantastic conversation with someone and then you can say one thing that sets them off and they become yeah. defensive mm -hmm. and they shut down um i've had it recently with a good friend of mine who's very close to becoming vegan he's he's mostly not eating any meat mm -hmm. but when but when talking about ahimsa or talking about you know um 
questioning his his kind of spiritual side, he immediately got defensive. And I understand, like he, I think he felt backed into a corner. He felt like I was judging him. Mm-hmm. And it's so important that we make sure we don't um, facilitate that feeling within people. We don't want people to feel judged or shamed or, um, you know, people have hard and lives are hard enough and complicated enough. They don't need their friends and family judging them you know even though we as vegans we don't really want people to be eating animals and destroying the planet but we can't force people to change can we we can only like you say provide people provide Mm -hmm. yes exactly and just be patient sure time is ticking you know time is running out but we're only uh we can only do as much as we can do and i think it's essential that we just remember that that it's you know that, that we are up against the clock like there is a lot of damage happening to our world but uh, you know it's just pa- patience i think things are going to change but uh yeah we got to do what we got to do <laughs> yeah, definitely, um, definitely. so so let's uh, changing track again to um things like the counter narrative to the vegan movement now the counter narrative to veganism is obviously carnism carnism is the ideology that is the dominant ideology in our world today which says eating animals is normal needed and necessary and that it is essential for our survival we obviously as vegans we know this is not true but there is a counter movement within the entire world, whether it's on social media, whether it's on YouTube, pushing things like the carnivore diet, the ketogenic diet. Do you want to talk a little bit about like, what do you feel about this? And does it does it concern you? Yes, it definitely does concern me, especially for people who have a huge social media following. And because of that, a lot of people make justifications as to say, okay, what they're talking about has to be true. Look how much followers they have or look how much engagement or look at their results. And again, it really does go back to that integrative and functional approach because some, if something works for somebody else, that doesn't mean that it's going to work for you in the sense of especially a carnivore diet and the carnistic paradigm. And if you look at healthy diets, diets that are going to be prescribed not by your doctor, but by your dietitian. And that's a whole nother story, just going into how much, you know, doctors, some doctors are educated in, in, in nutrition. But when you go to a dietitian and they give you a diet, almost always there's going to be an emphasis, emphasis on vegetables and fruits almost always. And a lot of times it's these quick fix fad diets that are being promoted because they, you know, some of them do have immediate effects, whether it's weight loss or what have you, but they're not sustainable. They're not long-term. They're not something that will, can yield for the most part, positive effects on your overall health and wellness. And I think that it's important for people to really, you know, while they're getting information from these sources and from um, these people that are promoting a certain agenda, it's important to really look into their background and where they're getting their information from, as well as um, what type of um, education they might have. Because again, that can also influence um, what they're talking about and how they're talking about it and what they're promoting. So I think that, um, again, uh, this is definitely something that 
um, each individual has to really take responsibility for, but also um, try to, again, going back to community, surround yourself with people who are sharing that those evidence-based research and resources that you can use to apply um, to your life in a helpful way. So what are some of the things that might happen to our bodies if we decided to try one of these carnivore diets, which I think is pretty much like mostly eating meat and not a lot else? Like, how, What are some of the things that we have to be very aware of that could happen to us? So um, I actually did a uh, video on this a little while back for school, just talking about um, meat and how meat alone has been considered uh, to be carcinogenic. So basically cancer causing now. And a lot of people, you know, use the argument of, oh, my ancestors, this is, you know, what they've eaten over the years. They, you know, flourished. However, the way that animals are treated, farming, and even our bodies biologically aren't the same now as they were centuries ago. And that goes to even show as to why the um, meat has been, you know, considered by the World Health Organization as well, a, a cancer-causing agent. And I think that alone, um, cancer is universal, and that's something that anyone can really, you know, take with a grain of salt as to say, okay, if I know, if the research is out there that says cancer, that meat causes cancer, what can I do or or I need to, how can I eliminate, you know, this out of my diet? I think at mm. that point, it really comes down to the individual making that decision because now mm. the information is out there. Now more research, evidence-based research is coming out about the effects of, you know, eating meat. So it's really coming down to that decision of you choosing to decide to listen or not. Yeah. Well, what do we say to these people that go, oh, but, you know, the, the, the risk factors are so low, it's only like 12% or something, you know, breathing the air in New York is, is going to give me cancer. And that, you know, um, the WHO is only saying that it's processed meat, that I'm still, it's fine for me to eat my grass fed beef and my wild caught salmon. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? Um, what's unfortunate is that a lot of people aren't paying attention as much as they should to the risk factors factors for things such as cardiovascular disease, right? Um, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer throughout the entire world. And a lot of the risk factors are, you know, poor health, obesity, lack of physical, you know, exercise. And uh, when you look at aspects of poor health, it usually includes eating more processed food, eating more meats and animal byproducts and products and eating and not eating enough of a plant-based diet, whether that just means having fruits and vegetables and nuts and grains in your diet or just not eating it at all. And I think that's something that, you know, we can really pay attention to in with regards to helping people to see that, that you know, these extreme conditions of cancer, of cardiovascular disease, heart disease, you know, we look at them as um, these, you know, horrible, detrimental diseases, but 
a lot of the things that we can do to prevent them from happening are overlooked. And it's important that we highlight things, especially like poor health, especially food with regard to um, seeing it as, okay, hey, I know that you're saying that you can still eat meat every day and X, Y, and Z, but also providing those um, the evidence-based research to show the links between um, meat and cardiovascular disease is important, as well as just showing people that, hey, um, what is something that you do every day? First thing people might say is brush my teeth or whatever. And I usually say you're also not only eating every day, but usually eating two, three, four times throughout the day. And these small choices that you're making with food, especially when they involve meat, even though they're small, even though you're overlooking it, these small decisions will have a compound effect on your overall health. You might not see it now, but you will surely see it in the future, whether you're taking positive, helpful, plant-based decisions every day or not. So I think that's a, a really important thing to really take in consideration and help people to see that, hey, you know, I know this is what you're saying. I know it might not seem like a big deal right now. I know you're saying you can eat your grass-fed meat. However, even though you might not see the effects right now, they will have a compound effect on your future health. Because yeah. mm, there's thirty excuse, there's an excuse for every single day of the month, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Earthling Earthling Ed has a fantastic series, actually. I mean, mostly around veganism and animal rights, called Thirty Days and Thirty Excuses. So, if you're listening and you want to check that out, please do. It's fantastic. Um, wow. So, tell us about sincerely Shans and, and everything that you're doing with your coaching program and what's involved and um, how people can can follow you and sign up to it. Yes. So right now, um, through all of this research that I've been just finding and also, you know, different things that I've seen from the good and the bad of people trying to become vegan, but just not knowing where to start. I created an integrative health coaching program to really help people to um, start their plant-based diet and even um, weight loss, what have you, in a healthy way. And basically, they can sign up at SincerelyChance.com or they can also send me a DM on Instagram. I'm fine with that. I love, love, love connecting with others. But through this um, program, I really try to meet people where they are without judgment, without shame, without guilt, and really help them to make that transition to a vegan diet in a sustainable and seamless way. And I really um, try to make sure to help them to utilize the foods and flavors and ingredients that they are currently eating uh, and just making those healthy swaps, but also exposing them to other helpful foods that are out there that they can try as well. And then on my Instagram, I try to post um, you know, helpful tips on eating a plant-based diet, on veganism, and also on mental health as well, because I find that um, not only is eating a plant-based diet, you know, helpful for our physical health, but also our mental health as well. So I also also try to post a lot of encouragement there as well, especially because I feel like a lot of people are dealing with a lot of mental health issues and don't really talk about it because of certain stigmas or fears. So I really try to address those things as well to help others with 
within that regard. Um, but yeah, you can um, check out my website for more information on the health coaching specifically um, at sincerelychance.com. And then, oh, and I also have a YouTube channel as well that is growing and that I'm trying to build um, to help people as well to have more of that visual um, health, whether it's recipes or whether I'm talking about a specific topic regarding um, holistic health on there as well. What kind of stuff can we see on your YouTube channel? So um, on my YouTube channel, I also try to keep it um, kind of around holistic health as well. So I talk a lot about um, physical health. So whether it's how to increase your energy, energy levels naturally, recipes that I definitely want and not even want, but just need to put more you know, on my channel out about because a lot of my clients are like, Shannon, like we need actual videos for these recipes that you send us. Can you, you know, show us a step-by-step? So recipes as well. Um, Again, a lot of topics on mental health will definitely be coming. So I'm trying to take a lot of what I share one-on-one or things that I'm learning one-on-one with my clients and creating videos around that to help others. Because a lot of the time I feel that things that I might talk about with uh, one client, another client also needs it as well. So with regard to my YouTube channel, um, recipes, inspiration, mental health topics, and just overall motivation for living a wholesome life. Sounds amazing. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the PBN podcast. Thank you. It was definitely a pleasure to be here as well. So thanks for joining us, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie. We'll be back next week with more veganism, health, fashion, technology, and everything in between. Don't forget to rate this podcast if you can, whether you're on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And I look forward to seeing you guys next week.